Good morning. He still talks a lot, doesn't he? I don't know where he gets it from, but bless the Lord. Gemma, you need to sort him out wherever you are. Kev, it's great to be with you. It's great to be with you. Uh, it's great to see old friends and new friends looking around. Folk I don't know, it's good to see you. Without your age so much, I can't recognize you. But it's, it's great to see different faces. It's just brilliant. Judith sends her love. She was going to come with me this morning, but we're doing two or three special things at Kingsway that it either needed she or me to be there. So she's holding the fort there. But it's, uh, it's lovely to be with you. And, and the, the music, you've still got it. Fabulous. Do you appreciate how good these musicians are? Could you just thank them, give us a round of applause, please? It's just <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to crack on with this. The American writer William Hurd Hillier wrote this. No pictured likeness of my Lord I have. He carved no record of his ministry on wood or stone. He left no sculptured tomb nor parchment dim, but trusted for all memory of him, the heart, alone. I love history and great men and women throughout history have always left some memorial to their, to their greatness and their fame. In wood or stone, as the poem says. Great houses, estates, you sometimes visit them. If you're in the National Trust, you can go and see what they built. Art collections, statues. They endowed foundations. They built colleges. They set up charitable trusts for the next generations to come. Yet the greatest of them all, the Lord Jesus, left no such thing. He left nothing great or, or breathtaking or valuable, nothing worth traveling to see in any part of the world. Nothing like that at all. He left one thing. One thing. And it's so mundane that you could miss it. It's so ordinary you could overlook it. It's so everyday you could ignore it. Jesus just left a table. That's it. A table. Not just one table locked away in some special place the way you could go on some pilgrimage to visit it and kiss it. He left millions of them, millions of these tables. This morning, I want to talk to you about tables, but more importantly, I want to talk to you about the power of a table. The power of a table. Tables get mentioned 81 times in the Bible. The first one is in Exodus 25 and it was made from acacia wood and it was overlaid with gold. And it was called the table of showbread. It stood in the tabernacle. Several tables, as you read through the Old Testament, belong to kings. In 2 Samuel 9, Mephibosheth gets an invite to sit to King David's table. In verse 13 says, he ate continually at the king's table. I don't think it means he was a glutton. I just think it means he took all of his meals there. David's table. Nehemiah had a very big table. Nehemiah 5.17, at my table were 150 Jews and rulers. That's a big table. Psalm 23 verse 5 has an amazing table. It's prepared by God itself. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Wisdom also has a table, says Proverbs 9 verse 2. Wisdom has built her house. She has also furnished her table. 
And as you turn into the New Testament, you find that Jesus was into tables. There's one in each of the four Gospels. He sat at Matthew's table in Matthew 9.10. In Mark 7, he has a conversation about dogs underneath a table. Giving them scraps. Luke 22.30, he he spoke about his own table. He says, my table in my kingdom. And in John 13.26, Satan enters Judas Iscariot as he sits at a table with Jesus. We bought our table at home from Wales. Judith says, we need to get some dishcloths. So we went to Oswestry Market to buy dishcloths. And as we walked up a back street, we went past this little shop where they were selling locally made furniture. And instead of a packet of dishcloths, we bought a dining room suite. (laughs) As you do. And my family and friends, we've had some great conversations around that table, haven't we? We have. Lots of laughter. We've shared many concerns. We said grace a myriad times. It's always good to say grace. McDonald's have great tables. Great place to sit and talk to people. Costa, Starbucks, Nero, local greasy spoon. They're good places, tables. But I want to talk to you about three this morning. Three tables. First of all, the table of belonging. Could you say that? The table of belonging. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Every Christian knows Psalm 23. Problem is we can become very familiar with it and we lose the power. So verse 5 sees this image of God as our shepherd. But that fades away as you work through the psalm. And instead of being the shepherd, he becomes my host. You just stop and think about that for a moment. You personally, whoever you are, whatever you're from, whatever your background, you think about you sitting at a table that God has invited you to. I think that's fabulous. Suggests to me intimacy and friendship. But as well as the image of changing from shepherd to host, David moves from addressing God as he to addressing God as you. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. But he changes to you. Prepare a table for me. David addresses the Lord directly. You see, tables are places where we look people right in the eye. You can't do that when you text on Facebook. But tables are places where you look people right in the eye. And that's exactly what's happening as we eat We converse face to face with God himself. Only the few greats in the Old Testament ever spoke to God face to face. Genesis 32, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Exodus 33, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Judges 6.2, Gideon said, I've seen the angel of the Lord and seen him face to face. But this table... The tables that Jesus left are places where he wants to talk to you face to face. You see, the cross of Jesus means that I can sit at God's table, dressed in my robe of righteousness, so I don't feel dirty, and I don't feel out of place, and I don't feel insignificant. Like Mephibosheth, I can eat continually at the king's table. It's not a one-off. 
When the psalmist wrote this psalm and he uses the word you prepare, it's an interesting word, the word prepare. It's a Hebrew word. It's the word orak. It means to arrange. It means to put in order. So when the kids are coming to our house for a meal, Judas in the kitchen, and I, I normally lay the table. Nice forks, glasses, pads, something to drink, serve spoons, etc., etc. So Luke here, James there, Marcus sit there, Anna sit there, Steph, when she comes, she'll sit there, Lady Judith will sit there. Can you imagine this morning that the King of all eternity lays a place for you at his table? He does it because he loves you. My mind cannot hardly comprehend what this psalm is saying. My shepherd has become my host and he prepares for me. I'll sit John here, says the father to the son, as he prepares a table for me. How fabulous is that? But it gets even better because the word table here is synonymous with the word feast. And so the word implies a joyous, magnificent banquet with my cup filled to excess. In fact, says the commentator Adam Clark, it means a magnificent banquet provided by a most liberal and benevolent host. Think of the best meal you've ever had. Multiply by about a hundred times and you begin to get an idea of the meal that God himself wants to feed you. The taste and the quantity and the variety and the smell, that's the shepherd's table that you're invited to. But he continues, Adam Clark, he said, A most liberal and benevolent host who not only has the bounty to feed me, but the power to protect me. And though surrounded by enemies, I sit at this table with confidence knowing that I shall feast in perfect security. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? I can feast with God in the presence of my enemies. And they can look on and they may envy me, but my security is in you, Lord. None of them can deprive me of the, of the rich table, Lord, that you've spread for me. Whatever's going on in my life, I can feast at the shepherd's table daily. He calls you every day. I can, de- I, can, I can feast there securely, confidently, with just an overflowing supply of blessing. This table is powerful because the sense of belonging, whoever you are this morning, you need to know that God wants you to belong to him because he belongs to to you. He wants you to know that. This is a table of belonging. You belong, whoever you are. Whatever's been said about you, as you heard in the gifts of the Spirit. Whatever words have been said. Whatever you say about yourself. Whatever life's done to you. God says, this is for you. You can always sit at the top table, eating the finest food, and no one can kick you out or kick you off the table. Because God himself has prepared and placed me there, and placed you there. It's a table of belonging. The second table, unfortunately, is very, very different. This second table is the table of betrayal. Could you say that? The table of betrayal. I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel 13, verse 21. Now, Jesus 
was in great anguish of spirit and exclaimed, the truth is, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering what he could mean. One of Jesus' disciples, the one Jesus loved, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask who it was that would do this terrible thing. Leaning towards Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? Jesus said, it is the one to whom I give the bread dipped in the sauce. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon, Iscariot. As soon as Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry, do it now. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. I think that this has to be one of the most disturbing sequences of event in the whole of Scripture. And it's a sequence of events that take place round a table. Again, it's a table of belonging because Jesus is there with his friends, but it becomes a table of betrayal. It's Jesus and his friends. But into the room steps Satan. How can it be? How can Jesus and Satan be at the same table? By invitation. Satan had entered into Judas before and now he enters him again. And as you read through the Gospels, there are brief hints of the, sex, of the successive steps by which Judas reaches this climax of betrayal. And there's a gradual way in which Jesus prophesies about his future betrayer. So in John 6, many of the disciples desert Jesus. And when Peter protested the allegiance of the 12 apostles in verse 69, Jesus answered, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. Then John comments, he meant Judas. The son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Jesus was already aware what was going on with Judas. But he gives him another chance. Because that's the way God works. So he was appointed treasurer, keeper of the purse. John 12, so we jump from John 6 to John 12, tells us exactly his response to that new responsibility. He was a thief. A keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas appropriated the funds that the disciples were putting into the back for the ministry. He was fiddling the books. But still, he sat at the table of belonging. And he's there now as they celebrate this Passover meal. But in his pocket is the 30 pieces of silver blood money that he's already been paid to betray his Lord. But Jesus, the God that we serve, church, is utterly amazing. So Jesus knows he's already been paid, but Jesus still offers him the hand of friendship. Listen, there are attitudes and there are actions that throw open the door of our lives for evil to enter. And what they do, they give the devil a landing strip into our lives and into our thinking. And those attitudes and those actions breach our defenses to attack of the enemy. Normally we protect it. 
We've just said it on the first table. But some of the things that we do breach the defences. They leave our spiritual defences down. But I want you to know what happens around this table. When we have a guest, and I'm sure when you have a guest at your table, the polite thing to do is you always serve your guest first. That's, that's just good manners. It's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of respect. Back in ancient times, they also had a very, very special custom that was a bit similar, if you like. But a piece of bread that had been soaked in wine or had been soaked in the, uh, in the sauce of the dish would be offered. And it was an ancient way of testifying very special regard for that person if they were offered the sop that had been dipped in the wine or dipped in the sauce first. Handing the sop was a token of special favour, friendship. And so Jesus is making a final offer of friendship here to Judas. Jesus said, it is the one to whom I give the bread dipped in the sauce. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Stay, Judas. Judas, I want you to stay. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, as he does this, I want you to stay. I don't want you to leave. It's not too late. Stay. Stay where you belong. Don't go. But it says, even as Judas at the sop, Satan entered into him. He, he rejected the table belonging for a table of betrayal. And it was his choice. And by his choice, he nullified the power of the table. Choice. He chose this action. We can do that. We can nullify the power of God's table in our lives. Unforgiveness, does it? Nullifies the power of the table. Unbelief, does it? Ah, oh, well, you know. Criticism, does it? Hardness of heart, does it? You nullify the power of the table of belonging. You see, forgiveness and faith are the basics. They're the foundations of our relationship with God. But unforgiveness and unbelief and hardness of heart destroy that relationship. They nullify the power of the table. Your choice, my choice. I can choose to nullify the power of God working in my life by any of these things. I know so many people who have stood up and walked away from the table of belonging. Their choice. You see, it never happens overnight. <clears throat> like Judas here, it's a gradual process for Judas to start with. It was love of money. And then he became critical in John 12, verse 3. Mary took a, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then he moves on from criticism to plotting to bring Jesus down. Ma Matthew 26, 14. One of the twelve, the one called Judas, is carried. Went to the chief priests and asks, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. 
You see, the problem is that small steps away from the table become much bigger steps. The enemy wants to rob you of the blessing of God, the protection of his presence, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he can't do it in one big leap, so he takes your small steps. That's what he did with Judas, but at a time. And those steps got bigger and bigger until he betrayed his Lord. And so the power of the table was so reduced that even though he's sitting at the table with the Son of God, Satan is still able to enter into him. And the table of belonging becomes the table of betrayal. Has to be one of the most disturbing passages in the whole of Scripture. The power of the table destroyed by the power of choice, your choice. My choice. You see, very often we were very good at pointing another bit. It was their fault. It was their fault. They caused it. No, no, it's our choice. The things that rob us of the blessing of God, the things that rob us of the people God wants us to make a bit are our choices. I choose not to forgive. I choose to hold on to the hate. I choose to never forgive that person. I choose not to believe what the word of God says about me. I choose, I choose, I choose. And the power of choice destroys the power of the table. Your choice. Just be careful of the choices you make, church. They can remove you from under the canopy of God's protection. The table in the presence of my enemies suddenly becomes very vulnerable because of wrong choices and wrong attitudes and wrong actions. The table of belonging, the table of betrayal, thirdly and lastly, the table of blessing. Could you say that? The table of blessing. So great women have always left Memorials to their greatness. Houses, estates, art collections, all that stuff, museums, colleges. But Jesus left a table, and the Bible calls this the Lord's table. The Lord's table. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There are millions of tables like this. 2,000 years of tables like this. Tables from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Tables. Ornate tables. Very plain tables. Visible tables. Some hidden tables. And all that's on them is bread and wine. Rye, oatmeal, white, brown, cut, sliced, broken. Wine, fruit juice, wine, beaner. What did we have this morning? What was that? It's nice, wasn't it? I like that. Yeah. Whatever. And it's in glasses, it's in cups, it's in beakers, it's in goblets. Tables like this in king's palaces. Tables like this in concentration camps. Where the next day people could die. At midday, midnight. With glorious worship music. 
I was blessed this morning with the worship. I got a crick in my neck though, looking at the top of the, the script, but I was blessed. It was terrific. All utter silence around the table, the Lord's table. And these are his memorials. This is all he asked for to remember him. You don't need the big stuff, you don't need the fancy stuff. This is it to remember him. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a table of obedience, you see, to do this. Do this, he commanded. And obedience always brings blessing. Could you say that? Obedience always brings blessing. Do this, he said. I want you to do this. Whether it's reluctant obedience or joyful obedience, the outcome is always blessing. When I obey God, he will bless me. And doing this is a source of blessing. It's a table of obedience. It's a table of declaration. Proclaim the Lord's death. That's what we're doing this morning. And declaration always brings blessing. Could you say that? Declaration always brings blessing. That's what we do this morning. In this school, this lovely hall, we're declaring this. I'm declaring to principalities and powers. I'm declaring to the rulers of the darkness of this present age. I'm declaring to spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And I'm declaring to my own soul that Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that? Worth an amen? You're not certain, some of you? That's what I'm doing. I'm declaring that Jesus is Lord. In any situation, in any location, I'm declaring. He always brings blessing. Every time I eat this bread and drink this wine, I'm declaring the power of the cross of Christ. And that is the basis of all our faith, of our salvation, of healing, of deliverance, the cross of Jesus. Declaration always brings blessing. It's a table of obedience. It's a table of declaration. It's a table of commitment. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We keep doing this. It's not a boring routine. It's a commitment. Lord, I'm going to declare your table and the power of your table while I've got breath in my body. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And every time I do this, it's a declaration again. It's a commitment, isn't it? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Lord, sometimes I put it down because life got too hard and life got too difficult. And I was struggling and, and, and I put it down. But Lord, I pick up my commitment again. And you know what? The Lord just forgives me. He says, just keep going. It's a table of commitment. And commitment always brings blessing. Could you say that? <laughs> commitment always brings blessing. Last one. I'm done. It's a table of consistency. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. It's a table for any day. It's a table for every day. Dark days, good days, whenever days. Whenever I can, Lord Jesus, I will do this. Because consistency always brings blessing. Could you say that? Consistency always brings blessing. The table of belonging. The table of betrayal. And the table of blessing. The Lord's table. You need to treasure the first. Belonging, something fabulous. 
about belonging to individuals, to belonging to a family, belonging to a church, belonging to the Lord Jesus. Treasure it. The table of belonging. The table of betrayal. Satan's a master deceiver. He wants to rob you. Beyond God. And the table of blessing. Revel in it. The blessing of God. You see, there is nothing to compare to the blessing of God. The problem is, we only realize it when we've lost it. Because we get so used to the blessing of God. But when you lose it, when you step out of it, only then do you realize you've lost it. Tables of the Lord. Where is that? 